You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 388, book excerpt, A Violation of Conscience. I released A Violation of Conscience, which is book four in the Chuck McCain series, several weeks ago, and there is a written excerpt on my blog if you'd like to check that out. But but I do have folks that love the audio versions as well, so the, or the audio excerpts. Now, I wished I could say that the books were in an audio audio format. They're not yet. That is definitely something I'd love to see happen, but right now they are available as an e-book or as a paperback. But I do have a number of uh, listeners who who always enjoy hearing a a bit of an excerpt um, read by yours truly, so I will do that. This is a section um, from A Violation of Conscience. Talladega, Alabama, Wednesday, 0440 hours. Russell Peppers sat on the wooden deck overlooking the Coosa River, sipping his second tumbler of Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey. He could faintly see the light of the stars glinting off of the water a hundred feet away, sounds of the night filling the air. Frogs, crickets, a fish splashing in the water, the buzz of a mosquito. Russ had awakened an hour earlier as the familiar nightmare tormented him. At least out here in the dark, he felt a measure of peace. He was grateful that his new roommate, Travis Rooney, kept a bottle in the cabinet. Peppers was also pleased that he was able, for the moment at least, to control his love for alcohol. Maybe something good had come from those nine years without a drink. Would the bad dreams ever stop? he wondered. What tormented him the most about these nightmares was how accurate they were. It always started with the dispatcher sending Deputy Russell Peppers to a suspicious person armed with a handgun at a convenience store. The Dawsonville Sheriff's Department only ran six deputies on the morning watch, the 2300 hours to the 0700 hours shift, composed of the lieutenant, the sergeant, and four deputies working zones. The 911 call came in at 0210 hours. A young black male was reported to be waving a handgun in the parking lot of the Circle K at Highway 53 and Highway 400. The sergeant and lieutenant had both advised that they were responding along with Russ's adjoining zone car. Peppers was only two minutes away when the call came in, having just done an area check of the outlet mall around the corner. As the deputy pulled into the parking lot and advised that he was on scene, the dispatcher told him that a witness had just seen the suspect run around the right side of the convenience store towards the Waffle House restaurant directly behind it. Russ parked beside the Circle K, drawing his 40 caliber Glock 22 pistol 
as he bailed out, scanning the area. Two dumpsters, two dumpsters sat side by side at the rear of the Circle K, the Waffle House just 50 yards away. Peppers moved slowly to the right, taking a wide angle in case the bad guy was hiding behind the dumpsters. If he did have to shoot, he didn't want to throw any rounds towards the packed Waffle House. The deputy held his pistol in his right hand, the three-cell mag light in his left, as he maneuvered cautiously to where he could see behind the trash containers. Oh shit, he remembered thinking. There he is. A young man was crouched behind the closest dumpster, staring across the parking lot towards the restaurant. The police officer's training immediately kicked in. Deputy Sheriff, put your hands up where I can see them. Now! At first, there was no response. But then, the young man slowly stood and turned to face Russell. The deputy immediately saw the black pistol in the suspect's right hand pointed at the ground. Drop the gun! Do it now, Peppers ordered his own weapon aimed at the other man's chest. Even as the suspect raised his pistol, Russ saw the faraway look in the teenager's eyes. You drop your gun, pig! Russ pulled the trigger three times, the forty caliber hollow point smashing into the suspect's sternum. His firearm fell to the ground as he squealed in pain, collapsing to the pavement. 231 golf to dispatch. Signal 50. Signal 50. Suspect is down. I need an ambulance and a supervisor. After calling in the shooting, the deputy carefully approached the downed man. The Glock still pointed at him in case he was still a threat. Peppers kicked the suspect's firearm aside and handcuffed him. He rushed over to his patrol car for his first aid kit, hurrying back to where the perp lay motionless, the blood no longer pumping out of the holes in his chest. Russ felt for a pulse, but it was gone. This was the point where the nightmare always took a turn. Now, instead of being in the parking lot of a convenience store, starting chest compressions on the wounded young man, Russ was in the bathroom of the Atlanta Federal Prison attempting first aid. The boy was no longer handcuffed as his eyes popped open, staring at the man who had just shot him. A knife suddenly flashed, stabbing Peppers in the side, his fat gut saving his life as the blade missed his vital organs. The blade slashed and stabbed him again, sending Russell to the floor as he felt his lifeblood draining out of him. That was the point where he always woke up, drenched with sweat. He took another swallow of the whiskey, enjoying the burn as it went down his throat. The bad dreams didn't bother him as much now, but he also knew that he wouldn't be able to go back to sleep as his mind relived the traumatic incident. After the officer-involved shooting, the next several hours had been a whirlwind. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation had been called in to investigate, and Peppers had freely given his statement to the investigators, knowing that he had nothing to hide. They had not given him an update on the suspect, but Russell knew he was dead. Those three bullets had struck him center mass, all within two inches of each other. Plus, the young man had no pulse, even after the deputy had attempted CPR. There was no way he had survived. 
It wasn't until the end of his interview with the two GBI agents that they told him something that would alter the trajectory of his life. What can you tell us about the suspect's weapon, Deputy Peppers? Agent Sykes, an African-American female, asked as they sat in one of the interview rooms inside the Sheriff's Department headquarters. Well, it was black. I remember thinking it looked like a Glock as he started to point it at me. Sykes made eye contact with her partner, Agent Bradley, a white male. Did you secure the suspect's weapon after you shot him? Bradley asked. No, the deputy admitted. I probably should have, but my first thought was to get him handcuffed and start first aid, so I just kicked it away from him. My sergeant got there pretty quick and told me he had secured the perp's gun. I guess your sergeant didn't tell you, Agent Sykes said. Tell me what? It was an airsoft gun, the male investigator answered. It looks just like a Glock 19, but it's a glorified toy. Russell closed his eyes and put his hands over his face, feeling like he had just been punched in the gut. He had killed a number of men in Iraq, but this had been his first police shooting. And knowing he had just ended the life of a teenager with a toy gun rocked him to the core of his being. Why, he whispered, shaking his head. Why would he do that? I told him to drop the gun, but he raised it like he was going to shoot me. I'm sorry, Deputy Peppers, the female agent replied, sympathy in her voice. The boy's family showed up at the scene after you left. Of course, they're devastated. They said that Jamal had serious mental and emotional issues. They'd had a family argument earlier in the evening about Jamal's performance in school. He ran out of the house and showed up at the Circle K an hour later. Suicide by cop, Russ said quietly, staring at the floor. That's what it sounds like, she sighed. Well, you're free to go, Agent Bradley said. We'll forward our investigation to your department and the district attorney. For what it's worth, we don't think you have anything to worry about. You didn't know it was an airsoft gun, and it sure as hell looked real. Well, that is a segment, a section, an excerpt from A Violation of Conscience. Hopefully it whets your appetite to download the book or order a, your copy of a paperback version. I'd love for you to read the whole series. I think you really, really enjoy them. I'm just getting such great feedback from people that just love the stories, that love the characters, and, uh, and are just excited to see where we go next. Now, I'm recording this at the very end of November, and I hope you might consider clicking on the link, link and buying a few copies of these as Christmas presents. Um, you can also send the e-version to somebody as a Christmas present. Uh, the, the link will get you in where you can check out the other books as well. By all means, check them out. I know there's somebody on your list, on your Christmas list, who would love to have a copy of A Violation of Conscience or any of my other books. So... The, the link will be on the, uh, in the show notes. Make sure you click on that. Um, also, if you get a chance, go to davidspell.com. If you haven't subscribed to my newsletter, by all means do that so that we can stay in touch. And we will see you next time on Leading and 